The Mystical City of God, The Incarnation Book 3, Chapter 13 The Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Argreda, describes the state in which Most Holy Mary found herself after the incarnation of the Divine Word in her virginal womb. 158. The deeper I begin to understand the divine effects and conditions which were caused by the conception of the Eternal Word in the Queen of Heaven, the more involved I am in the difficulties of describing this event. For I find myself immersed in exalted and complicated mysteries, while my intellect and my power of expression are entirely insufficient for encompassing what is presented to me. Nevertheless my soul experiences such great sweetness and such delight in spite of this deficiency, that I cannot bring myself to repent entirely of my undertaking, at the same time obedience animates me and also compels me to overcome the hardships, which in a weak and womanly mind would be insurmountable, if the assurance and encouragement coming from this source would not assist me. This is true especially in this chapter, in which I am to treat of the gifts of glory enjoyed by the blessed in heaven. Taking their prerogatives as models I will try to describe the state of the heavenly Empress Mary, after becoming the Mother of God. 159. For this purpose I will speak of the blessed from two points of view, of their own perfection, and of their relation to God. As regards the latter, the divinity is made clear and manifest to them with all its perfections and attributes. This is called the object of their beatitude, their glory, the substantial joy, the ultimate end, wherein the whole creature finds its adequate end and rest. On the part of the saints there are the beatific operations of vision and love, and of others necessarily connected with that most happy state, which neither the eyes have seen, nor ears have heard, nor can enter into the thoughts of men, Isaiah 64 4th and 1 Corinthians 2 29. Among the gifts and prerogatives of this glory of the saints, some are called endowments, freely given like to a spouse entering upon the spiritual matrimony, which is consummated in the joys of the eternal felicity. Just as the earthly spouse acquires possession and dominion of her endowments, and enjoys in common with her husband the use of them, so also in glory, these gifts are made to the saints as their own, while their use is common both to them, in as far as they themselves rejoice in them, and to God in as far as he is glorified in them by the saints. And these ineffable gifts are more or less excellent according to the merits and the dignities of each. But they are not given to those who are not of the same nature as the spouse, namely Christ our Lord, hence only to men, not to angels. For the incarnate word has not entered into any espousals with the angels, Hebrews 2.16, as he has done with men, by uniting himself with them in that great sacrament mentioned by the Apostle, Ephesians 5.32, in Christ and in the Church. Since however the Bridegroom Christ is man, is composed of body and soul, just like the rest of men, therefore both body and soul are to be glorified in his presence and the gifts of glory are both for the body and the soul. Three of these gifts pertain to the soul and they are called vision, comprehension and fruition. And four pertain to the body, clearness, impassibility, subtility and agility, and these are properly the effects of intuitive vision overflowing from the glory of the soul. 160. 
In all these gifts our Queen Mary already participated to a certain extent in this life, especially after the incarnation of the Word in her virginal womb. It is true that these gifts are given to the saints as comprehensors, being pledges and dowries of the eternal and imperishable felicity, and, as it were, securities for the unchangeableness of their state. On that account they are not conferred upon those still on the way to heaven. But upon Holy Mary these gifts were conferred as a wayfarer, hence not as on a comprehensor, not permanently, but from time to time and step by step, and with a certain difference, as we shall explain. In order that the appropriateness of this rare blessing in the Sovereign Queen may be better understood, let that which I have explained in the seventh and following chapters before the Incarnation be remembered, for there, the preparation and espousal with which the Most High favored His Most Blessed Mother in accordance with her dignity. On the day in which the Divine Lord assumed human nature in her virginal womb, this spiritual marriage, as far as the Heavenly Lady is concerned, was consummated by that most exalted and exquisite beatific vision, which as we have said was then entrusted to her. But for the other faithful the Incarnation was as it were an espousal, which is to be consummated in their heavenly fatherland, Hosea 2 19. 161. Our great queen possessed another prerequisite for these privileges, she was exempt from all stain of original and actual sin and was confirmed in grace by actual impeccability. Thus she was capable of celebrating this marriage in the name of the church militant and to make promises in the name of all its members, Ephesians 5 32. For in this matter, as she was the mother of the Savior, his foreseen merits found their application through her. By her transient vision of the glory of the divinity, she became the accepted surety for all the children of Adam, that this same reward will not be denied to any of those who shall use the grace of their Redeemer to merit it. The Divine Incarnate Word certainly was highly pleased to find that His most burning love and His infinite marriage should immediately bear fruit in her, who at the same time was His mother, His first spouse and the bridal chamber of His divinity, and that His reward should fall upon one in whom there was no hindrance. By conferring these privileges and favors upon His Most Holy Mother, Christ our salvation, indulged and partly satiated His love for her and in her for all the mortals. Too long a delay did it seem to the divine love, to wait thirty-three years until he should manifest his divinity to his own mother. Although he had shown her this favor at other times, as related in the first part, yet on this occasion of his incarnation he did it in a more excellent manner, one which corresponded with the glory of his most holy soul. However, all this was not permanent in her, but renewed from moment to moment with the flow of time, in as far as was compatible with the ordinary state of pilgrimage. 162. Conformably to this, God, on the day in which Most Holy Mary assumed the position of Mother of the Eternal Word by conceiving Him in her womb, invested us with a right to our redemption, founded upon the espousal of the human nature with Himself. In the consummation of this spiritual marriage by the beatification of the Most Holy Mary and the conferring upon her the gifts of glory, the same reward was also promised to us, if we should make ourselves worthy of it through the merits of His Most Holy Son, our Redeemer. 
But so far did the Lord raise his mother above all the glory of the saints in the blessings of this day, that all the angels and men, even in their highest reaches of beatific vision and love, cannot attain to that which the heavenly queen then attained. The same must also be said of the gifts of glory, which overflowed from the soul to her body, for all of them corresponded with her innocence, holiness and merits, and these again correspond with that highest of all dignities possible to a creature, that of being the mother of her Creator. 163. Coming now to these gifts in particular, the first gift to her soul was the clear and beatific vision, which corresponds to the obscure knowledge of faith in the wayfarers. This vision was given to the Most Holy Mary at the times and in the manner already explained and to be explained later. Besides these intuitive visions, she had many other abstractive ones of the divinity, of the kind mentioned above. Although all these were transient, yet they left in her mind most exquisite and various images furnishing her with such a clear and exalted knowledge of the divinity, that no words can be found to express it. In this Our Lady was singularly privileged before all other creatures, and thus she possessed the permanent effects of the gifts of glory as far as compatible with her position as wayfarer. When at times the Lord hid himself from her, suspending the use of these images for certain high ends, she made use of infused faith, which in her was super-excellent and most efficacious. In such manner, one way or the other, her soul never lost sight of that divine object, nor wandered from it even for a moment. However, during the nine months in which she bore in her womb the incarnate word, she enjoyed even greater visions and gifts of the divinity. 164. The second of these gifts is comprehension and possession or apprehension. This consists in the attainment of the end, corresponding to the virtue of hope, whereby we seek after the final object in order to possess it without danger of ever losing it. This possession and comprehension in Most Holy Mary corresponded to the visions mentioned, because seeing the divinity, she possessed it. Whenever she depended on faith alone, hope was in her more firm and secure than in any other creature, and more than this, for as the security of possession in the creature is founded to a great extent upon sanctity and impeccability, our Heavenly Lady on this account was so privileged, that the firmness and security of her possession of God, although she was a pilgrim, equaled in certain respects the firmness and security of the blessed. For on account of her stainless and unimpeachable sanctity she was assured of never losing God, although the cause of this security in her as blessed wayfarer was not the same as in the glorified saints. During the months of her pregnancy she enjoyed this possession of God in various ways by special and wonderful graces, through which the Most High manifested Himself and united Himself to her most pure soul. 165. The third gift is fruition, which corresponds to charity, since charity does not cease but is perfected in glory, 1 Corinthians 13 8, for fruition consists in loving the highest good possessed by us. This is the charity of heaven, that just as God is known and possessed as He is in Himself, so also he is loved for his own sake. It is true that even now, while we are yet wayfarers, we love him for his own sake, but there is a great difference. Now we love him in desire and we know him not as he is in himself, 
But as he is represented to us by incongruous images or by enigmas, 1 Corinthians 13:12 and John 3:2. Therefore our love is not perfected, nor do we rest in it, or find the plenitude of delight therein, though there is much to incite us. But in the clear vision and possession we shall see him as he is in himself and we shall see him through himself, not through enigmas, thus we shall love him as he should be loved and as far as we can love him respectively, our love will be perfected and the fruition of him will be satiated, without leaving anything to be desired. 166. Most Holy Mary participated in this fruition more abundantly than in any other, for even though her most ardent love might, in a certain respect, have been inferior to that of the blessed whenever she was without the clear vision of the divinity, yet it was superior in many other points of excellence, even while remaining in the lower state. No one ever possessed the divine science in the same degree as this lady, and by it she understood how God is to be loved for himself. This science was perfected by the memory of what she had seen and enjoyed higher in degree than the angels. And as her love was nourished by this knowledge of God, it necessarily exceeded that of the blessed, in all that did not pertain to immediate fruition and, unchangeableness, as to increase or augment. On account of her profound humility the Lord condescended to an arrangement, whereby she could act as a blessed wayfarer remaining in a holy fear of displeasing her beloved. This burning love was of the most perfect kind intended entirely toward God Himself, it caused her ineffable joy and delight, proportioned to the excellence of her love. 167. In regard to the gifts of the body, redounding from the gifts of glory, and other gifts of the soul constituting the accidental part of the glory of the blessed, I will say that they serve for the perfection of the glorious bodies and the activity of their senses and motive powers. By them the bodies are assimilated to the soul and throw off the impediments of their earthly grossness, enabling them to obey the wishes of the souls, which in that most happy state cannot be imperfect or opposed to the will of God. The senses require two gifts, one to refine the reception of sensible images, and this is perfected by the gift of clearness. The other, to repel all activity or passivity hurtful and destructive to the body, and this is done by the gift of impassibility. Two other gifts are required in order to perfect the power of motion, one, in order to overcome the resistance or impediment of gravity, furnished by the gift of agility, the other, in order to overcome the resistance of other bodies, furnished by the gift of subtlety. With these gifts the body becomes glorious, clear, incorruptible, agile and subtle. 168. In all these privileges our great queen and lady participated during her mortal life. The gift of clearness disposes the body to receive the light and at the same time to give it forth, doing away with earthly opaqueness and obscurity and making it more transparent than clearest crystal. Whenever Most Holy Mary enjoyed the clear and beatific vision, her virginal body participated in this privilege in a measure beyond all human calculation. The after-effects of this purity and clearness would have been most wonderful and astounding, if they could have been made perceptible to the senses. Sometimes they were noticeable in her most beautiful face, as I will say later on, especially in the third part, 
yet they were not known or perceived by all who conversed with her, for the Lord interposed a curtain or veil, in order that they might not always or indiscriminately be manifested. But in many respects she herself enjoyed the advantages of this gift, though it was disguised suspended or hidden to the gaze of others, she for instance was not inconvenienced by earthly opaqueness as the rest of men. 169. Saint Elizabeth perceived something of this clearness, when at the sight of Mary she exclaimed, And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Luke 1 43. The world was not capable of perceiving this sacrament of the King, Tobit 12 7, nor was it opportune to manifest it at that time. Yet to a certain extent her face was always more bright and lustrous than that of other creatures. Also in other respects it exhibited qualities altogether above the natural order of other bodies, which produced in her a most delicate and spiritualized complexion, like that of an animated crystal. This presented to the touch, not the roughness natural to the flesh, but the softness as it were of the purest and the finest silk, so that I cannot find any other comparison to make myself understood. Yet all this should not appear strange in the mother of God, for she bore him in her womb and she had seen him often, even face to face. For the Israelites could not look upon Moses face to face, nor bear the splendor which shone from him after his communication with the Lord upon the mountain, Exodus 34 29, though it was much inferior to that entrusted to Most Holy Mary. There is no doubt, that if God had not by a special providence withheld and hidden the splendor in reality due to the countenance and the body of His Most Pure Mother, it would have brightened the world more than a thousand suns combined. None of the mortals could, by natural power, have sustained its brilliancy, since even thus restrained and concealed, it was sufficient to cause in them the same effects which St. Dionysius the Areopagite experienced in looking upon her and which he describes in his letter to Paul. 170. Impassibility produces in the glorified body such a condition, that no agent except God himself, can by any activity or influence change or disturb it, no matter how powerful this activity may be. Our Queen participated in this gift in two ways, first, in regard to the temperament and humors of the body. She possessed these in such a delicate measure and proportion, that she could not contract or suffer any infirmities, nor was she subject to any other human hardships which arise from the inequality of the four humors, being in this regard as it were almost impassable. Secondly, in regard to the dominion and commanding power, which she had over all the creatures as mentioned above, for none of them had power to act contrary to her will and consent. We can add still another participation of impassibility, the assistance of the divine power in proportion to her innocence. For if it is said, that the first parents in paradise could not suffer a violent death as long as they persevered in original justice, it must not be understood to mean that they enjoyed this privilege by intrinsic or inherent powers, for if a lance would have wounded them they could die, but they enjoyed it through the assistance of the Lord, who would always prevent them from being wounded. If then the first parents possessed this privilege and could transmit it to their descendants as their servants and vassals, it was due by a much better title, to the innocence of the sovereign Mary, and so in truth was she endowed with it.
171. Our most humble queen made no use of these privileges, for she renounced them in imitation of her most holy son and in order to labor and gain merits for our benefit. In spite of them she wished to suffer and she really suffered more than the martyrs. Human intellect cannot weigh correctly the greatness of these labors. We shall speak of them throughout this heavenly history, leaving much more untold, for common language and words cannot encompass them. But I must advert to two things, first, that the sufferings of our queen bore no relation to any sins of her own, for she had none to atone for, and therefore she suffered none of the bitterness, which is mixed with pains endured in the memory and consciousness of our own guilt of sins committed. Secondly, that in her sufferings she was divinely sustained in accordance with the ardors of her love, for she could not naturally endure so much sufferings, as her love called for or as much as, on account of this very love, the Lord allowed her to endure. 172. Subtility is a gift, which takes away from the glorified body the density or grossness natural to quantitative matter and which enables it to penetrate other bodies and to occupy the same place with them. The subtilized bodies of the blessed therefore are endowed with qualities peculiar to the spirit and can without difficulty penetrate the quantitative matter of other bodies. Without dividing or separating them it can occupy the same place. Thus our Lord's body, coming forth from the grave, Matthew 28-2 and entering the closed doors, John 20-19, penetrated the material in closing these places. Most Holy Mary participated in this gift not only while she enjoyed the beatific visions, but also otherwise according to her will and desire, as happened many times in her life and her bodily appearances to some persons, of which we shall yet relate, for in all these she made use of her gift of subtlety penetrating other bodies. 173. The last gift of the body enables the glorified body to move from place to place instantly and without the impediment of terrene gravity, in the manner of pure spirits, which move by their own volition. Mary most holy possessed a continual and wonderful participation in this agility, especially as a direct result of the divine visions. She did not feel in her body the force of weight and gravity, Therefore she could walk without feeling the inconvenience usual to that kind of exercise, she could move about with instantaneous speed, without feeling any shock or fatigue as we would feel. All this belonged naturally to the quality and condition of her body, so spiritualized and well-formed. During the time of her pregnancy she felt even less the weight of her body, although, in order to bear her share of labors, she allowed hardships to produce their effect. She was so admirable and perfect in the possession and use of these privileges, that I find myself wanting in words to express all that has been made manifest to me concerning them, for it exceeds all that I have said or am able to say. 174. Queen of Heaven and my Mistress. Since you have condescended to adopt me as your daughter, your word will remain a pledge, that you will be my guide and teacher. Relying on this promise I presume to propose a difficulty in which I find myself. How is it, my mother and lady, that your most blessed soul, after it had enjoyed the clear intuition of God according to the disposition of His Majesty, did not remain in the state of blessedness? And why can we not say, 
that you did remain in this state of beatitude, since there was no sin nor any other obstacle to this state in you, according to the dignity and sanctity revealed to me by the supernatural light. Our Queen and Lady answered. 175. My dearest daughter, you doubt as one that loves me and ask as one not knowing. Consider then that the perpetuity and durability of blessedness and felicity is destined for the saints, since their happiness is to be entirely perfect. If it would last only for some time, it would be wanting in the completeness and adequacy necessary for constituting it as the highest and most perfect happiness. At the same time it is incompatible with the common law and ordinary course, that the creature be glorified and at the same time be subject to sufferings, even though it be without sin. If this law did not hold good with my most holy Son, John 1.18, it was because he was at the same time God and man, and it was not befitting that his most holy soul, being hypostatically united with the divinity, should be without the beatific vision. And as he was at the same time redeemer of the human race, he could not suffer nor pay the debt of sin, that is pain, if he had not possessed a body capable of suffering. But I was a mere creature, and therefore I could have no claim to the vision, which to him was due as a god. Moreover I could not be said to have permanently enjoyed the state of blessedness, because it was conceded to me from one time to another. Under these conditions I was capable of suffering at one time and enjoying blessedness at another, moreover it was more usual for me to suffer and to gain merits than to be blessed, since I belonged to the wayfarers and not to the comprehensors. 176. Justly, the Most High has ordained, that the blessedness of eternal life should not be enjoyed in this mortal existence, Exodus 33.20, and that immortality should be reached by passing through existence in a mortal body and by gaining merits in a state of suffering, such as is the present life of men, Romans 6.23. Although death in all the sons of Adam was the wage and punishment of sin, Romans 6.23, and therefore death and all the other effects and chastisements had no rights in me, who had not sinned. Yet the Most High ordained that I also, in imitation of my Most Holy Son, should enter into felicity and eternal life by the death of the body, Luke 24.26. There was nothing incongruous in this for me but it afforded me many advantages, allowing me to follow the royal way of all men, and gain many merits and great glory by suffering and dying. Another advantage resulted from that for men, for they saw that my most holy son and I myself, who was his mother, were truly human as they themselves, since we proved to them our mortality. Thereby the example which we left them became much more efficacious and they would be induced to imitate the life which we led and which resulted in so much to the greater glory and exaltation of my Son and Lord, and of myself. All this would have come to naught, if the visions of the divinity had been continuous in me. 
However, after I conceived the eternal word, the benefits and favors were more frequent and greater, since I was then brought into close connection with him. This is my answer to your questions. No matter how much you have meditated and labored in manifesting the privileges and their effects enjoyed by me in mortal life, you will never be able to comprehend all that the powerful arm of the Omnipotent wrought in me. And much less can you describe in human words what you have understood. 177. Now attend to the instruction which I will give you regarding the preceding chapters. If I was the model to be imitated in the way I responded to the coming of God into the soul and into the world by showing due reverence, worship, humility, and thankful love, it follows that if you, and in the same way the rest of the souls, are solicitors in imitating me, the Most High will come and produce the same effects in you as in myself, though they may be not so great and efficacious. For if the creature, as soon as it obtains the use of reason, begins to advance toward the Lord as it should, directing its footsteps in the path of life and salvation, His Most High Majesty will issue forth to meet it, Wisdom 6.15, being beforehand with His favors and communications. For to Him it seems a long time to wait for the end of the pilgrimage in order to manifest Himself to His friends. 178. Thus it happens that by means of faith, hope, and charity, and by the worthy reception of the sacraments, many divine effects, wrought by his condescension, are communicated to the souls. Some are communicated according to the ordinary course of grace and others according to a more supernatural and wonderful order, and each one will be more or less conformable to the disposition of the soul and to the ends intended by the Lord, which are not known at present. And if the souls do not place any obstacle on their part, he will be just as liberal with them as with those who dispose themselves, giving them greater light and knowledge of his immutable being, and by a divine and exceedingly sweet infusion of grace, transforming them into a likeness of himself and communicating to them many of the privileges of the beatified. For after he is found, he allows himself to be taken possession of and enjoyed by that hidden embrace, which the spouse felt when she said, I will hold him and not dismiss him, Canticles 3-4. Of this possession and of his presence the Lord himself will give many tokens and pledges, in order that the soul may possess him in peace like the blessed, although always only for a limited time. So liberal will God, our Master and Lord, be in rewarding the objects of his love for the labors accepted by them for his sake and fearlessly undertaken to gain possession of him. 179. In this sweet violence of love, the creature begins to withdraw from and die to all earthly things, and that is why love is called strong as death. From this death arises a new spiritual life, which makes the soul capable of receiving new participations of the blessed and their gifts, for it enjoys more frequently the overshadowing of the Most High and the fruits of the highest good, which it loves. 
These mysterious influences cause a sort of overflow into the interior and animal parts of the creature, producing a certain transparency and purifying it from the effects of the spiritual darknesses. It makes it courageous and as it were indifferent to suffering, ready to meet and endure all that is adverse to the inclinations of the flesh. With a certain subtle thirst, it begins to seek after all the difficulty and violence corresponding to the attainment of the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 11:12. It becomes alert and unhindered by earthly grossness, so that many times the body itself begins to feel this lightness in regard to itself. The labors which before seemed burdensome, become easy. Of all these effects you have knowledge and experience my daughter, and I have described and rehearsed them for you, in order that you may dispose yourself and labor so much the more earnestly, so that the divine activity and power of the Most High, in working out his pleasure in you, may find you well disposed and free from resistance and hindrance.